also a traditional Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. Hi, Kate. And we're back. Yeah. We always come back, whether it's a two-parter or not. Yeah. On the the Holy Watermelon Watermelon Podcast. Podcast. Yeah, tune in every two weeks on the dot. Yep. So don't be sick of us. (laughs) Uh, We're doing part two of our first two-parter. So if you joined us last week, we I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode if you haven't. If you joined us last week, you would have already listened to that episode. <laughs> yep. If you didn't join us two weeks ago, I highly recommend going back to that episode uh, and listening to part one of Mormonism. Whatever we ended up calling it. <laughs> Mormonism part one. Uh, because we're going to dive right in to the splinter groups that started after Joseph Smith's death. I want to get into the groups that broke off before Before. Joseph died first. Okay, we did leave off, spoiler alert, last episode with Joseph's death. Yes. But we're going to backtrack. Just a tiny little bit. Okay. All right, so before Joseph Smith died, there were nine small groups that branched away. So we've already got splinters off this group. And Joseph had only been the leader of this church for about 14 years. I was going to say it's impressive that there are splinter groups from such a new splinter group. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) So most of them lasted less than a year. The first seven, there's nothing really interesting to say about them. They were there. They left. Usually they were led by somebody who was new to the group. And he convinced a few friends that, hey, you know what? We don't actually like what Joseph is saying. So they leave and start this new group. They reject Joseph's role as a prophet. They don't really care about the Book of Mormon. They think it's nonsense. So it's kind of weird they joined in the first place, but makes sense that they left. (laughs) The only reason they even make it onto the list of Mormon splinter groups is because they were in the church before they started something else. But really, they're just regular run-of-the-mill Protestants. But there are a couple of exceptions. The last two to break away before Joseph died. So both of them were led by rather prominent people in the church. Uh, One of them was Hiram Page. Hiram Page and the Whitmer family. Some of the Whitmer family and Hiram Page were all witnesses to the, the, the golden plates. They actually got to touch and manipulate and sign a permanent record that's still published today saying, yes, we touch these things. They're real. Joseph's not lying. They left in 1838 and at some point started up their own church. It's hard to say when they started their church. Some people say 1840, 1842. Records of this very short-lived branch are a little contradictory and certainly incomplete. It's possible that there was actually more than one church, and that's why they're contradictory. That seems mm-hmm. sensible, but it's it's pretty fuzzy. But we know, so Hiram Page was married to one of the Whitmer girls. So they were pretty tight. Who knows what really happened? It's a little foggy, that part of history. And then the other group that left the Mormon group, the main Joseph group, was led by William Locke, who was actually one of the church's apostles. So rather prominent fella. Um, very shortly before Joseph's death in 1844, while he was the guy who was responsible for the Nauvoo Expositor that <gasps> kicked off all of this great chain of events that got Joseph killed. This was the table flipping. Yeah. <laughs> of Mormonism. Yeah. Burned down the printing press and... Then you get thrown in jail for committing crimes. And then people are like, well, this isn't enough to get him locked away forever. Let's get more crimes added to his list. Mm. And then they realize, oh, this isn't going to work. We're going to have to bust into jail and assassinate him. Mm. I mean, yeah, sounds pretty parallel to JC. In some ways, yeah, for sure. So we had the great Mormon schism. That feels like it needs to be said with some reverence. Great Mormon schism. 
<laughs> Settle down. Who's that guy who does all those history audiobooks? I have no idea. Oh, Brian listens to them. Okay. That's what you sound like. Anyway. <laughs> so the majority group was the Brighamites. There's about 17 million of them still around today. Among the revelations recorded in the church is one that makes the Council of the Twelve Apostles equal in authority to the smaller council of the First Presidency. I don't know what I just said. <laughs> so you've got what, what we call the First Presidency. Calling it a council is not terribly common, actually, is that but that's the what guy it is. is. The First Presidency. So you've got the president of the church. Mm-hmm. And his two counselors, sometimes okay. more, generally most of the time it's only two. And they are the first presidency as a group. And their group is equal in authority in some instances in history to the 12 apostles, which is almost always exactly 12 guys. <laughs> yeah. There's exceptions to that, like when somebody dies or when they have an assistant who is also actually ordained as an apostle or whatever. I remember you arguing with our friend about the Quorum of the Twelve, and you had said that sometimes it's not twelve. I don't remember an argument, but for sure it's not always going to be exactly twelve. If I remember you dies, dis- I won't say an argument, but you disagreed on some point around the twelve and the number and... I'd, I've got nothing coming to mind. Fine. That's fine. Uh, one of those councils was dissolved with the death of, death of its president. The other is persistently replenished. Yeah. So if the president of the church dies, his first presidency is gone. If the two counselors are ordained apostles, they'll usually join the council of apostles. That didn't always happen. One specific example would be when Hiram Smith was in the presidency with Joseph. He died instead of going to join the the council. So how do you get a new president then if it's not? So that's part of the trouble with what we're getting into right now. Oh, the schisms. Okay. A big part of the schism was a lot of disagreement on what happens when the first leader of the church dies. All right. Well, we'll get there then. (laughs) So the Brighamite tradition is that... The apostles get together, whoever is still there, and in this particular case, only slightly more than half, unfortunately, they get together and they vote on it. Who is going to leave the church? It took them three years to reorganize a new first presidency out of the out of the Council of the Apostles. And then they replaced those who had vacated their spot in the Council of the Twelve with new apostles. Okay. And it's... Basically, just a, a simple vote. Everybody says, yep, we want this dude to be the guy. So this is when the apostles elected Brigham Young in the Salt Lake Valley yep. to be the new president. Exactly. Uh, new apostles were selected to the vacancies left by the brethren who moved into new positions. So as Preston said, uh, new apostles were selected to the vacancies left by the brethren who moved into new positions in the first presidency, as well as replaced by those who defected more splintering. Well, yeah, because there were people who really didn't want Brigham to lead. And there's some pretty fair reasons for that position. Yeah, he was kind of. (laughs) But he did get the majority vote of the apostles. And so it makes sense that he was the next president of the church. Let's take a look at some of these splinter groups. We have the Rigdonites. Good old Sidney Rigdon. So he led part of a group that that was called the Church of Jesus Christ. A little longer than the original name of the Church of the Church of Christ, but shorter. Little shorter than the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. So this is all also called the Bickertonites. Yeah, and there's about twenty three thousand of them around today, which so, is still a pretty decent number considering when it splintered. Right. Yeah. Um, so Sidney Regan was the first counselor to Joseph at the end of his life, so he saw himself as the natural successor to lead in this place. And he styled himself as the guardian of the church until the church figured out what to do next, meaning the elect Brigham, mm-hmm. which he did not like at all. I mean, I don't <laughs> know if I blame him. He refused to recognize the validity of the vote that made Brigham president of the church. Okay, well, that's silly. We can't be denying elections. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's how you get in trouble. But I do agree with his position on not picking Brigham. 
Yeah, that's fine. Voting against Brigham is perfectly reasonable. And there's a reason it took three years to reorganize the first president. Saying that there is voter fraud. <laughs> uh, I don't know how long we're going to still deal with this January 6th business, but I really hope it ends soon. Anyway, um, so based on the idea of a bad election, Sydney led a faction of the church to Pittsburgh and led the church there until it collapsed in 1847, about the time that Brigham was officially elected. Mm -hmm. A separate congregation lasted a little longer and also believed in Sidney's claim that he should be the rightful leader. They were just geographically separate and lucked out and lasted longer. They were led by William Bickerton, and so that's why the group is called the Bickertonites that lasts today. And they use, well, none of these groups really like these ite names. It's everybody else that applies the name. The, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints doesn't call themselves Brighamites very often, except in scholarly discourse when it's useful to make that distinction. Is it, like, offensive? Can I be like, oh, you Brighamite? I would imagine, yeah. Some okay. people find it offensive. It doesn't bother me because it's useful in scholarly discourse. <laughs> Is there any doctrinal or orthopraxy differences between these groups? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tell um, me why. Most of them believe in the general theology that Joseph taught. A couple of the early breakaways didn't like Joseph's theology, and they're definitely not the majority. We'll talk about another group a little later on that full-on rejects it as well. The group that might be called the Bickertonites, they still exist today as the Church of Jesus Christ headquartered in Monongahela, Pennsylvania. That's hard to say the name of that town, and the locals just call it Mon City. I... Don't blame them. <laughs> right? <laughs> the Mormons in Mon. And I found it really interesting. If you go to their website, they do flat out deny any connection to Mormonism, hmm. which um, I believe shows a poor understanding of their the history. word Mormonism. Because everything they describe about their history, like they do still use the Book of Mormon. They believe in Joseph Smith. They just... Therefore, they believe in Mormon. Right. The frustrating thing is that they said they deny any connection to Mormonism when what they mean is they deny any connection to the Brighamite Church. Yeah. But that's that's life sometimes, I guess. So then we have the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Wait. Yeah. So that, <laughs> Without a hyphen. Is right. that the only difference? In, in the name? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, also, um, the Brighamite Church actually has the word the okay. at the beginning. And this, I mean, it's hard to say the name without putting the at the beginning, but officially the at the beginning is not part of the name. This is Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Not the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. <laughs> um, uh, also called the Strangite oh, Church. Dr. Strang. <laughs> ja. <laughs> right. Uh, James Strang didn't have a, such a compelling argument for his own leadership, but that did not stop him. Of course. He had a forged letter from Joseph appointing him as head of the church. And he claimed that angels came to set him apart as the next president with no witnesses. Yeah, it's really weird. There's, there's witnesses for everything Joseph ever claimed to put himself in any position of authority. And this is a serious break from that tradition. Guess what? What? Angels came to me last night <laughs> and? and appointed me head priestess of the Holy Watermelon San Lenatus Fellowship. Well, good thing they're confirming something we've already agreed on. <laughs> Shh. Uh, so people were worried about the continuation of Revelation after Joseph's assassination. Strang insisted that Revelation continued through him. Yeah, he, he also claimed to receive ancient records written on metal sheets by an ancient Native American named Raja Manchu of Vorito. <laughs> okay, Italian it's, South Asian man. <laughs> it's, it's weird. South um, Asian, far Asian. Or... <laughs> yeah, it's, it feels fully ridiculous. Yeah. But none of Strange's competitors were finding ancient records to show that they were like Joseph. 
So Strang got people to follow him. Okay. He also claimed to have received and translated the lost Book of the Law of the Lord, which is mentioned in a few passages in the Old Testament. As we know. Yeah. Bold move, but it's it does follow some of the pattern of Joseph, minus the whole very important deal of witnesses. <laughs> right. Strang even convinced Joseph's mother, his brother William, and the early scribe Martin Harris and several other leaders in the church. That's interesting. Yeah. He got very prominent people in the church to follow him. Not that they lasted a long time, but they did stick with him for a little while. And no longevity. There's only about 130 people. Longevity, they've they've managed to so, survive but... this 170 years or whatever. But... A little little incestuous, 130 people after 170 years. That's concerning. Yeah. Marrying your cousin. Um, (laughs) I feel like there's probably some of that. Also, you know, every now and then you'll marry outside the church and get them to join. My sim married their cousin by accident. Oh, yeah. I didn't know they were related. And then I looked at their family tree and I was like, oh, that person comes up twice. (laughs) (laughs) How come they have the same ancestor? Whoops. (laughs) Nice. The church might have peaked near about 1,200,000, 12,000 members, but it rapidly shrunk when Strang changed his mind about the evils of polygamy instead of supporting it openly. Yeah, he uh, did a 180 there and just said, you know what? Yeah, polygamy's for me because when you lead a cult, it gets real tempting. <laughs> John C. Bennett, uh, famously excommunicated for being a lying womanizer, also joined this group after being excommunicated from the main body of the church. And within it, created a group called the Order of Illuminati. So in the 1800s, this idea from the late 1700s in Bavaria became very popular in pretty much everywhere that has any influence from Europe at the time. It was really weird. Uh, But it didn't last long after Bennett was yet again excommunicated. He's the problem. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Strang was murdered in 1856, and the church was splintered. Some decided the age of prophets was o- over, and most left to join Joseph Smith III in the community of Christ. Yeah, well, so it wasn't called that at the time, but that's the, the what it's called now. Okay. Um, so the community of Christ um, is... A big one. It's the the biggest Next the non-Brighamite branch so of this movement. So it's about 250,000 people. Yeah. So it used to be known as the RLDS, the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It went by that name from 1872 until 2001. Wow. And they went through a big rebrand. Yeah. The Community of Christ, as it's known today, is headquartered in Independence, Missouri. They never really left the east side or the... Well, I guess that's Midwest, isn't it? <laughs> I don't it's, know the it's terms. It's fairly east compared to landlocked Utah. <laughs> yes. The only region in the States I actually understand is the Pacific Northwest. When so people talk, Oregon and Washington. Yeah. <laughs> but when people talk about the Midwest, I'm like, I don't know what that encompasses. Right. It's never been important to me, to no. be fair. <laughs> Sorry, American <laughs> listeners. Send us a geography lesson on Discord. Right. Anyway. They stayed in independence when the Brighamites left, and they denied any claims from all of the other schismatic groups. That makes sense. That's what they do. Um, They insisted that the heir to church leadership must be the son of Joseph Smith Jr. Sounds a lot like Sunni and Shia. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So Joseph Smith III did, because, you know, son of Joseph Smith Jr., who was the leader of the whole thing to begin with, Joseph Smith III didn't take leadership until 1860 at the age of 27. And the family tree has followed this leadership patrilineal line as much as they could for That's interesting. a long time. That's really cool. Yeah. Because it's actually not that far back that like the records would be accurate. Right. Right. We're not making yes. stuff up like we talked about last week. Well, and the people who are around know who's next. Yeah. Yeah. Because they see, oh, yeah. Yep. Prophet had a son. Despite the self-aggrandizing of some of the first presidency counselors, the majority Church of Utah recognizes them as having been apostles in essence, if not in title, which title they could have but never claim for themselves. Yeah, I think that's rather interesting. 
Instead, they just come up with other reasons why they should leave. Hmm. Interesting stuff, anyway. Brigham Young. His nose is a clitoris. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I don't think he's saying anything last episode from the Book of Martin, so... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about Brigham Young and the second Mormon schism. Brigham Young is often called the American Moses. And as Preston mentioned, he was the second president of the LDS after Joseph Smith's death. I, I hate so much that he is so often called the American Moses. But he brought the people to the Salt Lake Valley. Right. A thing that Moses is not responsible for doing in the Did Exodus he story. Not bring the people to Egypt? So... Joseph actually wandered around from state to state to stay with the church for a long time. Oh, that was and what that's Moses what Moses did. did. Yeah, because Moses and then Joshua right. is like, "All right, now it's time to go into our promised land." Brigham Young is the American Joshua. It does not roll off the tongue, though. It has less meaning to people who know way less about that's religion. <laughs> wow, I feel attacked. Anyway, Brigham Young is best known for his many wives. 56 of them. At least 56. And moving moments from Nauvoo to Utah, where they founded Salt Lake City. The goal was to avoid persecution that had forced them to move across the country time and time again. Brigham Young was also the first governor of the Utah Territory, which he governed as a theocracy. It was a pretty benevolent theocracy, but yeah, it definitely was a theocracy. And I mean, I... Imagine probably until the last few decades, Salt Lake City was pretty as close to a theocracy as you can get. They're all Mormons for a while there. they were, yeah. I'd pretty, I bet it'd be interesting to look up when the first liquor store opened in Salt Lake City. It probably was <laughs> in the last three decades. I don't know. Well, I don't know the stats on that. You Google that while I keep talking about okay. Brigham Young. Brigham Young is also the one who banned black men from receiving the priesthood, which wouldn't be removed until 1978. Every now and then you hear somebody talk who is in church leadership saying that there's there's no voting and everything's unanimous. A lot of things that were okay before Russell Nelson changed as soon as he took office. Because now he had authority. He just said, no, we're doing this because he was voted down on so many things so regularly. And that's how the racism thing had to stop. You had to wait until it could get voted down. Wow. It's a little ridiculous. So, well, it's my favorite song in the Book of Mormon. Preston vehemently argues that in 1978, God did not change his mind about black people. No, the church is led by people. That's our flaw. <laughs> There's a phenomenal podcast called 99% Invisible, and I highly recommend, after listening to our entire library of episodes, you go and check out their episode on Salt Lake City. They do a phenomenal job explaining how Salt Lake City is designed based on the plat of Zion, which was developed by Joseph Smith. It's a grid system, which I think we can all agree is the best way to build a city, but each block is 10 acres. That's huge. With uh, wide streets built for open carts. So apparently in the oldest parts of Salt Lake City, you can take a while to cross the road. And I've never been to Salt Lake City. I believe you have. I have, but I'll admit that I didn't pay enough attention to testify to this at all. So I heard, and again, this is from the 99% Invisible podcast, that at crosswalks there are like little flags because you can't actually like make it across. So it's just like to keep you visible because you can't make it across in a light. Well, that's just rude. The yeah. lights need to be long enough to make it across. Well, I guess not. Uh, what did you find about About the liquor first liquor stores. stores in Utah? Yeah. 1935. Okay, still later than, well, I guess there was prohibition. I, I feel yeah. like they, they just kind of showed up when everyone else got rid of prohibition. Yeah. But I imagine they weren't nearly as prominent in some of the cities where they're on every corner. I would think so. <laughs> you have to, like, feel bad about going. You got to know your market, right? Yeah. <laughs> We also have fundamentalist splinter groups. Yeah, more splintering. Um, so in September 1890, to protect the church from the American government who saw polygamy as a form of slavery, decided, you know what, we got to crack down on these Mormons. And so Wilfred Woodruff decided, okay, among many other things, he published a manifesto calling for the end of polygamy in the church. The manifesto was read out at the General Conference of the Church the following month, and official records say that it was sustained by a unanimous vote of, like, the whole church present. Agreed to not get rid of polygamy. They agreed. 
So the whole church agreed that polygamy should be ended. So that's what it says on paper. But let me tell you a little bit about Wilfred Woodruff's son, Abraham, who was ordained an apostle by his father, must have been present for this general conference vote. And he must have changed his mind because he took a second wife after the manifesto was given while his first wife was still around. Do you want to talk about your multiple wives, Preston? (laughs) Every now and then I tell people you are my second wife. Yeah, it's me. Uh, mostly in groups where people will think, ah, ha, ha, that's funny. Not, what? <laughs> yes. Preston and I are both married to other people. Yeah. In monogamous relationships. Yes. For the record. <laughs> uh, and another fellow apostle, Matthias Cowley, continued to bless polygamous unions after the manifesto, too. So... Polygamy was really, like, a big thing that people divided on. Yeah, absolutely. So saying it was unanimous, I'm worried that they just didn't record the naysayers. I don't know how that In went. Some, I like, don't know. amazing, God-inspired change of heart. <laughs> I don't know. It's better for the story. <laughs> so, anyway, several groups uphold Mormon practices from the early days that are no longer held by the mainstream LDS church. One of the big ones is plural marriage. Polygyny is at the center of these groups. What's the difference between polygamy and polygyny? So polygyny specifically is a man having multiple wives. Right. Well, okay, to be fair, it could be a woman having multiple wives too. But Um, it's the wives in multiple as opposed to husbands in multiple. Yes. Okay. Uh, Polyandry is having many husbands. And there are cultures that have practiced that. Polygamy is just the umbrella statement. And polyamory is loving more than one person. Yes. But not necessarily marriage involved. Correct. All right. There we go. So Joseph Smith encouraged polygamy, of course. Kind of on the down low for a little while and then became more public. Brigham Young, big fan, as you said, 56 wives. It may have been more than that, but we don't have solid records. So Brigham, but 56 is a big number. 56 is a big number, and Brigham Young is also problematic because some of his wives were as young as 14. Yeah. Um, also, last And, like, episode, all related to each other. Like, he would marry his sisters or, like, moms and dad, like, weird shit. Yeah. Sorry. That, he made sorry. a lot of weird decisions, um, a lot of really gross decisions. And they weren't all for the financial support of widows. Some of them were. He married most of Joseph's widows, but... Some of them were because he was a pervert. Yep. Yep. Yep, for sure. Anyway, these fundamentalist splinter groups believe that these practices were wrongly abandoned so much that they decided, no, we have to break off so that we can continue doing them. There are lots of fundamentalist groups, including... I'm going to make a whole list. The Apostolic United Brethren... Infamously, the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is Warren Jeffs, and we'll touch on him in just a moment. Bountiful. The Latter-day Church of Christ, the righteous branch of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day, <laughs> Latter-day Saints. The, the early groups never used the dash, but the ones who broke away from Brighamite churches more often, but not always, would use the dash. All right. The... True and living church of Jesus Christ of, La- of saints of the last days. Literally, my notes will say, man, these are wordy. And now that I'm reading them out loud, <laughs> they really are. Centennial Park Group. That's a nice name. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the Kingdom of God. That's all one. Uh, School of the Prophets. Independent Mormon Fundamentalist. Fundamentalist. <laughs> Trigger warning. We're going to talk about Warren Jess for just a minute. We will eventually do a full episode on the FLDS and Warren Jeffs specifically. He's currently serving a life sentence for sexually assaulting children. Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey is an excellent slash horrifying documentary on the FLDS. So I'll just leave it at that today if you want to learn more about the FLDS. Uh, That's on Netflix. Horrifying. Yeah. Gross things. Yep. But I feel like everyone's going to be like, but you didn't talk about Warren Jeffs. Right. Uh, And he's still running the FLDS from jail, which is equally horrifying. We talked a little bit in our previous episode about how this idea gets 
adopted by people that the righteous people should be getting good things. And if you can pass yourself off as righteous, people will give you good things sometimes. So it's messed up. Bad things happen. Yeah. Um, several other groups have split from each of the greater branches of the church. Some claim to be correcting the path of the church. Others claim to be restoring some new old principle. They get really culty. It's kind of creepy. Um, we'll post on Discord a chart of how more than 75 groups have branched out from this tree. And you can find a table of 87 churches on Wikipedia, with about half of them still surviving today. Wow. Yeah. So if you're like me and lucky enough to know a Latter-day Saint, <laughs> uh, the odds of them being a Brighamite are good. Better if you're outside the United States, even. Oh, wow. Um, uh, most of these splinter groups are in the United States. I'm... I, I'm Sitting next to a break mic. I guess that, so, yeah. Okay. Was that offensive? I'm so <laughs> no, sorry. Okay. I'm fine. I uh, already said why it's not offensive right, okay. to me. <laughs> but there's still a chance they're not. And there's a lot of different groups. They kept the long trip. But yeah, you're right. A lot of these splinter groups are still within the US. There is a good handful in Canada, um, mostly Alberta, British Columbia. Because we share a border. Uh, yeah, re relatively close to Utah, Idaho. There is some in Toronto area or Ontario at large, anyway. Not all of Canada has them. <laughs> My husband, Bryant, uh, worked with a lady who was in a Mormon cult yeah? in British Columbia. And he had kind of put out, maybe we should interview her one day. She might not want to talk about it, though. It was awesome. I was chilling out in a Dairy Queen in, uh, I think it was Cranbrook, probably. Mm -hmm. And we definitely saw some of the commune Mormons. <laughs> you can't call them that pressed. I just did okay. <laughs> and I'm committed to it at All this right. point <laughs> um, so this is something we didn't talk about last time so part of me is curious why you put it to this point in the episode in it's, the series is talking about the temple because we so, talked about all the sacraments yeah. last episode. So let's talk about why we put it at the end. That's just where it fit. Wow. Uh, it's not I all... thought you had this whole like brain. So well so previous episode was all about what was going on with Joseph minus the splinter groups in his time. Out of all of these groups, only the Brighamites use what we call the temple and the rituals that go on in there with the endowment and everything. There was a temple built in 1836 in Kirtland, Ohio. It did not serve the same function that is typical for Mormon temples today. The Nauvoo temple, the second temple, did serve this new purpose. It's not a regular church. It's not a chapel hall. We don't hold our common Sunday church services in a temple. In fact, the temples are closed on Sunday. And I think... Because you should be at church? Is that why they do it? <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> its primary purpose is for endowment ceremonies and weddings. We call them ceilings because it's a more permanent wedding thing than... Time and eternity. Yeah. Um, we also do proxy rituals for those who have died. We talked about this a little bit in the previous episode. So temples generally are constructed when you get enough people who validate a new temple in an area instead of busing them all out to the next nearest one. Yeah, and it's interesting. I always say I don't want to dox us, but I feel like anyone with any good Googling skills could find us. Um, <laughs> so we're in Alberta. And the first Mormon temple in the province was actually in a small town called Cardston, as opposed to one of the big centers like Calgary or Alberta, because Cardston... Calgary or Alberta? Calgary or Edmonton. Thank you. Uh, because Cardston is the Mormon capital of the world. It's not, but it sure feels <laughs> like it when you drive through it. You were married in Cardston. I was. Yeah. Yeah. And my parents and my wife's parents. And, and it's a huge temple compared to to the Calgary and Edmonton ones. Um, so there's a, you know, interesting fact about, I don't know how they calculated it, some Mormon magic, but, because uh, <laughs> the population in Cardston is small, but obviously there's a high enough population of Mormons. One, well, the surrounding area, just to justify just that spot. Yeah. Anyway, temples, we already said that. Before temples are dedicated, shortly after construction is completed, you and I can visit them, dear listener, as non-Mormons. This yep. is the only time non-Mormons are allowed anywhere, I imagine, past the lobby. Yep. Um, there are four currently under renovation, 58 under construction, 
and 79 more have been announced. And there's literally a Mormon temple website. So if you're listening and you're like, man, this sounds cool. I want to check it out. Uh, check out the website and see what's under construction or under renovation near you. I would love to check one out. Sure. We got to find one near us. I think they just dedicated the one in Winnipeg, and that's... As close as... I think we'd have to go south of the border for the next close one. Okay. We'll look it up. <laughs> so how do Mormons get in the temple? Because, you know, I got no chance. <laughs> so because a big part of what goes on in the temple is making commitments, there's an interview process to see if you are prepared to make those commitments. Uh, and so you'll meet with the bishop... And he'll give you a signature on a temple recommend. And there's a follow-up to that interview with the next guy up above him to get his signature after another interview to really make sure that you know what you're getting into and that you are really prepared to live according to these new promises you're going to make in addition to what you've already been doing is basically the deal. A lot of people talk about worthy. It's... Worthy feels like a weird word. It's a very charged word, so it is. you shouldn't throw it around lightly. Yeah. It's it's about, are do you feel committed enough to what you're already supposed to be doing to take on further commitments? That's the deal. And about 65% of Mormons hold a Temple Recommend card. Where'd you get that stat? Uh, I Google. I saw a stat, a really old stat, and okay. it was a very small number. It was something like 20%. I was like, that can't be right. And then I checked the date on the article, and it was from like the 90s. And I was okay. like, oh, okay. And so then I literally Googled, how many Mormons hold a Temple Recommend? Okay. And that's the number <laughs> I got. So, All right. um, fight me. <laughs> Cool. All the Mormons I know have temple recommends, though, so. The ones that you know are Mormon. <laughs> yes. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> it's strongly encouraged. Uh, yeah. But not everybody's up to dealing with that level of encouragement. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the LDS website says that recommend questions are about faith. So do you have a testimony of Jesus? And adhere to adherence to Mormon standards. So do you strive for moral cleanliness in your thoughts? Yeah. Can you tell me about a temple recommend interview? I mean, they're never terribly weird. <laughs> do you believe in Christ? Do you believe that the prophet is legitimately able to receive revelation to lead the church? Do you sustain the possibility that he can receive revelations from God and you know, actually act on them as leader of the church, that kind of idea. Do you keep the commitments you've been asked to keep? You know, staying faithful in your marriage, being good to your family, that sort of thing. And just, you know, not be super gross to people around you in the neighborhood. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you've always had good interviews. Yeah, as a guy the risk is much lower for me. Right. So unfortunately, people are imperfect and a quick Reddit search will show you that these bishops and state presidents don't always stick to the script. Yeah, I, I know people that have Ugh. been made to feel very, very bad in these interviews and they're lucky compared to some. Yeah, so we're not going to go through some of the reports on Reddit. You can look it up yourself, but trigger warning if you do, sexual assault and victim blaming. Because um, people suck. Because people suck. Is this why people recommend a temple recommend? Is because of the tithing? Is it strong? Is that why it's strongly encouraged to have a temple recommend? No, I would say no. Okay. The church doesn't need That's individual true. people's money. That's fair. So uh, we talked a little bit about how much work there is to do for family history and getting all the all the work done for all of the dead people in the temple. Mm -hmm. And the number of people attending the temple uh, affects the work being done. Mm -hmm. And so it's just from the top down, the idea is get as much work done as we can. Okay. Yeah. But another aspect of getting a temple, temple recommend is tithing. That you is one of the questions. A full tithing member of the LDS church to get your temple recommend, which is you change this 10% of your increase. That's, that's what that's term. what it says in the law. Okay. 
So there's a lot of different ways to interpret that. Some people say it's got to be 10% of your gross income. Other people say 10% of your net. Some people will go 10% of your net after literally covering all of my bills, my rent, feeding my kids, all that fun business. And then I've heard in a few different, from a few different sources, that anyone who benefits from your income must also tithe. So we're just going to do some nice round numbers here. So you're going to have to tell me what you mean because that sounds very weird. Yeah. So the example <laughs> I gave is that if a father mm -hmm. makes $100,000 a year, mm -hmm. he has to pay his 10% tithe. So $10,000. Yeah. So again, easy math. Let's say he gives his child $1,000 in allowance. That child must pay $100 in tithe, but the dad still needs to pay $10,000. Right. So this is the idea of tithing off your gross. Right. So then if you had 10 kids, because some Mormons do, you still have to give 10000 But now with your 10 kids given 1000 each, that's another 10000 Yep. And then if your wife doesn't work and you give her any sort of allowance, she has to pay 10% of the allowance you give her, but you still have to pay the $10,000 off of your. Yep. And so it like, it's, you know, I think a GST is the value it's, added tax. It sounds like a really great argument against tithing on your gross. Right. <laughs> or just never giving your kids an allowance. Sure. But I've heard that from a couple different sources. I can't sure. tell you. Yeah. Now, a lot of, but... a lot of people prefer to tithe off their gross and they say they feel blessed because that's what they do. And a lot of people, simply don't see that as a, a possibility for their financial situation and tithe off of the the lowest number that they can, can validate they can as their net. Give to their <laughs> bishop. And it sounds like, and you obviously can speak better to this, but payment plans can be set up where exceptions can be made. Yeah. Well, and really, it, it depends a lot on who your bishop is. And if, I imagine if, situation to situation. Yeah. Generally, there's this follow-up of... You know, okay, yes, I didn't pay a full 10% of my, whatever my increase looks like, gross or net. I've, I assume there are, but have not actually had to deal with a bishop that says, well, until you get caught up, nothing for you. I assume that happens, but I've never had to deal with it. Oh, Generally, it's, well, what are you going to do next year? <laughs> and, you know. Some people need help budgeting to just manage their money at all. Um, but there must be situations where you wouldn't get a temple recommend. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. One of the advantages to putting yourself in the financial situation of paying a tithing is you're probably going to be more careful about your budget, I guess. <laughs> it, you know, if you're losing 10% and you might not know where that goes... Yeah, you're probably gonna be more careful with the rest of it. One would hope. <laughs> I'll just keep my ten percent. I mean, that's the easy. Yeah, <laughs> but good for you, press. <laughs> Add a boy. Yeah, the church doesn't need individual people's tithing. It's, that's just not the way it goes. The church is incredibly wealthy. It's one of the biggest landholders in the United States. It's it owns major companies yeah. or or shares in major companies and is making some pretty great money off of that. That it's it's more about individual discipline than it is about supporting the church. Okay, interesting. But Preston, mm -hmm. what really happens in the temple? I feel like I alluded to it a little bit. Um, Almost a year ago, last September, we had a little talk about Freemasonry and Mormonism. Just a tiny little bit. Mormonism was part of that discussion. The, the main purpose of the temple follows what I can only describe as a mystery school sort of tradition. There's a handful of rituals that are connected to a narrative that a person passes through something that can somewhat be compared to the hero's journey. Not perfectly, but close in a lot of ways. That you have this ritual experience and you receive secret knowledge, secret tokens, that sort of thing. For the most part, people overplay how secretive it is about what's going on there. At four separate points, you make a promise not to tell 
the, the world at large these very specific secrets. That's it. Yeah, and I think that's where if you're curious and you have a temple near you that's under construction, they explain it all in the yep. tours beforehand. So I made a note that Mormons get a lot of flack for their secret ceremonies, but it's not like any of us know what's going on in the Vatican. Right. <laughs> or with all the abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention, even churches without any secrecy, air quotes, sure have a lot of secrets. Yeah. So Joseph Smith was a known Freemason, and some of the ceremonies within the temple are a little bit similar in a couple of ways. There is an initiation that goes through with a narrative to receive certain secrets at certain points. If you're into Freemasonry, you, you'll see how that is similar. The narrative is entirely different and trying to map that narrative onto something that you would see in Freemasonry wouldn't make any sense at all. <laughs> okay. So for a couple of years before Joseph's death, like almost two years, it was weird to be a man in the church and not a Freemason. Heber C. Kimball, one of the, the prominent apostles of the church, would encourage men to join a lodge before being baptized, which I thought was rather interesting. Yeah. Um, that tradition did not survive the trip to Utah. Nope. <laughs> and if any of these thousands of men noticed a similarity between Masonic ritual and Joseph's endowment ritual, nobody ever said anything about it on the matter publicly. Seeing how many people left the church in this time, it would have been a pretty easy thing to get some attention. Didn't happen. It is notable that only the Brighamite majority has this mystery school type temple endowment. The other breakaways never established this tradition in their groups. I'm not entirely sure why. Even the group that stayed in Nauvoo for a little while with the temple never hmm. preserved it. And I'm not, I, yeah, I just don't know why. I mean, it's quite a defining piece of Mormonism, so yeah. It really is. With a handful of vocabulary exceptions, and the, I, I'll say it's a frustrating use of the apron in the temple, um, both of which are holdovers from Brigham's zealous love of Freemasonry. Everything common between the LDS temple symbolism and Masonic symbolism is common because it's found in the King James Bible. Okay. Um, the, the narrative played out in the endowment is drawn from the book of Genesis. It's the story of Adam and Eve, the creation of the world, and what, how and why they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and then how they deal with raising kids in a setting of faith outside the Garden of Eden and preparing them to make and keep covenants with God. That's very different from what we see in the, the Masonic narrative, which is based on the brass worker Hiram and his role as in the construction of King Solomon's temple. The Masonic system is all about building a relationship of trust with your brothers and being true to the secrets you're told to keep. The Latter-day Saint endowment is focused specifically on Christ's sacrifice and the goal of personal perfection. There's some overlap in ideal, but not a lot. Some of the vocabulary around the the secret tokens is similar because Brigham was in charge of writing what the script would be when they got to Utah, when they finally got around to building the third temple. Okay. <laughs> and he also incorporated a lot of weird ideas into the temple uh, when he was in charge that thankfully have been phased out since then, some more slowly than others. Picture... Young Preston, mm -hmm. and that's your first time doing the endowment ceremony. Okay. How the heck do you know what to do? You don't. Every ritual initiation in any organization is usually meant to be a little disarming, that you, you have to go in blind. That is a really important part. A lot of groups are a lot more unnerving and off-putting and surprising, and the the endowment that we have in the temple is, it doesn't lean into that very hard, but it does sometimes surprise people. It does that a little bit less as years go by and things change. <laughs> We're making it more palatable to sensible people of today. <laughs> and 
I don't love all the changes. I do love some of the changes. Yeah. <laughs> Is it the movie? Is the movie better? So I am disappointed that... Well, so as a Freemason, I love a personal group of people performing a ritual. I love that. But that's that's never been my temple experience. It's always been a video for me. There's, I think right now, there's only two temples that do a live session. I'm not sure, actually, that that's even still true. Wow. I mean, it's a lot of work and a lot of people. It is. And it's a lot easier on everybody when it's just a video. Mm -hmm. I, I trust that regular craft Freemasonry will never go to the video. Okay. <laughs> Temple Whites. Yeah. Do you... Is there like a Mormon clothing online shop? Or do you yeah. actually have to like go... Okay. Yeah. Or do you there's... have to like go to Morris and be like, I need a white suit head to toe? No, you can get it all online. Women? Yeah, you get it all online. Okay. And you're, you're not restricted to buying from the church to get your Temple Whites. With a couple of exceptions, I guess. Um, there's there's a robe and sash and a cap. I I'm not aware of any place to buy those Outside other than from the church. But the suits, but I haven't and, gone the suits and dresses. Just wear yeah. To, to go through the rituals, you're expected to dress in all white for the ritual portions of the things you do in the temple. You can show up in a suit and or a dress or jeans if you feel like that's appropriate. Okay. Because I see all these men in like full white suits and yeah. women in white dresses. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering, I was like, is that hard to source? Nope. Not hard to source at all. Okay. <laughs> hard to keep clean? No, the temple is really a clean environment. It's cleaned deeply regularly so that it's actually pretty easy to keep your stuff clean. Okay. Because one of the ideals is to make it a place that you can feel close to heaven. It needs to be extremely comfortable cleanliness and beautiful is, and clean. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah. All right. Anything else we need to know about Mormonism? I don't know if there's anything more we can fit in this episode. That's true. Actually, unless you had more questions about the temple, maybe something I glossed over. I, I feel like I know a lot about the temple. Um, so I would encourage our listeners, I mean, as much as a non-Mormon can know about the temple. So I encourage our listeners, if you have a question for Preston, because this is where we have like a boots on the ground expert, uh, <laughs> to post in our Discord. Yeah. Or join us on social media. Just like I tell people who are curious about what you do in the Masonic Temple, uh, I will answer any question about the Latter-day Saint Temple too. There you go. Except for what are the tokens? Right. That's those thing, Those specific things that I promise not to share, those are the only things that you won't get the answer you're after. You'll get, I'm sorry, I can't answer that question. <laughs> well, well, don't bother asking then. Uh, so <laughs> if you're not, so I'll join us on our social media. Um, and if you also want to support us so we can continue to make great content, put out more uh, episodes, maybe more frequently, please consider supporting us monetarily on Patreon or on our merch store spreadshirt is there a mormon what's the opposite of a salutation a farewell sure not really okay well we'll stick with peace, peace be, be with, with you, you. <laughs>